Howdy, folks. It's your host, Jason, and I'm back with Whatsoever is True. Please check out the blog, whatsoeveristrue.com, and I overwrite, so I've got a lot of stuff on there, and uh, if you're really bored, you can go check it out. <laughs> if you're an insomniac, you can check that out, too. I mean, hope no, Seriously, hopefully it's edifying, and uh, it glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and and brings you to a, a, a deeper level of Him and... Uh, a deeper level of understanding and, and adoration of him. I mean, it's the goal of everything that I'm doing here. So uh, I do hope it's it's a blessing to you. Today, um, you know, I'm teaching through Romans in, in, in my Bible study at my local church. I uh, definitely can hope that, um, I know I've got people listening to this that are not at my church, which is actually why this whole thing got started, by the way. But um, you know, during the COVID stuff is, is to help people access the, the study material that I was doing in person. And so I know some people listen to this that don't go to the study, and that's awesome. Um, you know, that's, that's fantastic. So yet at the same time, if you'd, if you'd uh, like to go check out whatsoeverstrue.com, it's got, you know, loads of stuff I put on there from previous studies, a lot of Proverbs, and, and definitely Romans, and then some, uh, you know, miscellaneous work as well. So uh, do check that out. And again, hope, hopefully it's, it's edifying, but at the same time, do be involved with your local church. Find a church that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and teaches the Bible and, and try to get with some Bible-believing Christians and have real relationships with them. Uh, if you don't have that in your life right now, then pray for it. You know, when, one thing that we forget a lot is to say that uh, when Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, uh, you know, I'm going to do that. And we, we don't understand that verse. I mean, in my name, it means according to my will. That's what you know, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. He does that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's facing his crucifixion, right? So he says, you know, take this cup away from me. He's asking, and it's okay for Christians to ask for things, and, um, and you're not sure what God's will is going to be. I guarantee, though, this one, this is what he wants for you. He wants you to live a, a, a God-glorifying life in Christ and uh, full of knowledge of him. That's what we desperately need. So if you pray for that, if you don't have a local church and, and, and fellow believers that you can really have uh, deep deep conversations with about the faith, uh, you have a hole in your life, and, and I understand that. So pray for it, and it will come, and continue to pursue him through you know things like this, this podcast, uh, the blog, and, and other things like that. I mean, this is you living in a golden age. As much as the United States is a clown car heading down the hill of sin— in the, in the catastrophe, we still are just able to access incredible teachings and, and uh, you know, of, of, of great theologians and great pastors that, that you couldn't have accessed. Like not, I didn't, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager and yearning for truth, I didn't have the type of mentors that you could just readily find now online. But anyway, here we go. Uh, today is, we're talking about Romans 12. And I wanted to stop the very first verse. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's Romans 12, 1. Um, this is something I'm going to take more time on this. I can't do it in my live study because I'm, I'm stuck doing this in, in, a, in, a, in a season, you know. So at the end of May, we finish it on you know, Memorial Day. And we have the summer off. We start a new session in the fall. So I haven't been able to do like what the pastors do in my church, where they'll just go verse by verse through an entire book. You know, study, I can't do that. So I have to kind of take big, big bites. And here we're going to slow down. I'm going to look at this one verse. Uh, This verse is so fantastic. And really the question you want to ask is, what is it 
that you're supposed to do as a Christian? I mean, how is it that you're supposed to worship? And our answer is here. Note that Paul appeals to his reader. The Christians in Rome were his brothers in the faith. They weren't his subjects. He didn't boss them around. He didn't write something like this. You know, he didn't say, all right, you guys, don't, uh, you, you guys don't know squat about the faith, all right? You don't know squat about Jesus. Uh, you don't know Bo Diddley about the patriarchs, nor study the scriptures like I have. You know, I had an audience with the Lord on Damascus Road. We'll leave out the fact that he was blinded and, and reprimanded. But uh, a, a personal meeting with him. Have I reminded you of that lately? So listen to me. I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm the big cheese. You know, sure, there's other disciples, and they live with Jesus, but that's while he was here. I saw him afterwards, which means he specifically came back for me. Anywho, here are your orders. <laughs> so, I, no, he didn't do that. None of that worldly, pride-fueled condescension that's common to us. You know, we pat our resumes, we showboat, uh, we lord it over people, and um, all that stuff. There's no hint of superiority. Paul, really, if you think about it, had been a super Jew, right? He a Pharisee. He had top-of-the-line education. He was also a Roman citizen, which granted him a lot of rights. His education was absolutely, as I said, first-rate. And there's evidence throughout Romans in verses two, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, and uh, chapter 16, verse 25, that uh, he was aware of the need to remind the Romans of the authenticity of his apostolic credentials to defend against the critics who were spreading rumors. And again, that's Romans chapter 3, verse 8. You know, there's people, some people slanderously charged us with saying that kind of thing. Um, so he was aware of that, just like we are today. We're aware, you know, m me as a teacher, as a, as, a, as, a, as a martial arts teacher and so forth, people will, will say things about you that, you know, aren't true. Um, and I'm sure you've got the same thing at work or wherever you are. Uh, so in, this wasn't, there was no exception. I mean, wherever sinners go, they bring this type of pettiness and, and uh, gossip and all that nonsense. So uh, don't forget that. So in light of this tension, and there's always tension again in a sin-sick world, he appeals to them. Notice that word. He calls them brothers. And he rests the weight of, of what he says, not on his authority, not on his authority, but on the mercies of God. Right? Catch that? For, to whom the person who knows how much they've been forgiven, and even have a, a glimpse of it, a glimmer of it, is going to, it's going to impact the way he deals with everybody else in his life. He bases everything that's to come on the reality and the meaning of the cross. And if, it's, if, it's, if, if I'm forgiven and I need grace, and so do you, and I'm going to try to extend that to you. So we note soberly the manner in which Christians are to use authority. It's a real authority. Pastors and elders especially, and every other authority on earth, have their power as a derivative from the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's Romans 13, 1, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Authority is, is, is in the name of God, wielded in the name of God for the glory of God, in the context of the Word of God for the building up of the saints. That's the objective of all authority, the building up of the saints to the glory of God. So... Any severity, any discipline executed by the church or even any sub-authorities such as parents, bosses, judges, police officers, etc. are to be done in accordance with God's righteous ordering of the world. How do you like that one, huh? 
<laughs> I mean, how do you like that one? How do you like that? People are out there and they're going to use authority. That's the law, right? Lex Rex, that's the law. Well, where's law come from? What's the purpose of the law? I'm just, as I said, everything from him and through him and to him are all things. Romans 11.36 gives us that standard through which we can then apply the rest of the practical things coming from Romans 12 through 16. All right? All conflict on earth is a result of our stubborn refusal to accept this elementary fact of life. God is God. That's it. We have dominion over nature, not over, the, not over other men. We have dominion over nature, not the moral code. God doesn't delegate that authority. <laughs> he doesn't do it. God gives men dominion over other, um, like animals, stuff like that, but not other people. Not dominion. We have some sub-authority, but not dominion. Genesis one twenty-eight shows that. Okay? Uh, I had a good chat with my buddy, A.J. Bible, and he, point, he pointed out, like, yeah, that's a great point. And that's it. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis one twenty-eight the dominion mandate of Scripture. Mankind does not have dominion over other men. That means absolute authority. We have dominion over nature and animals, and we and we're still stewards of those things. Incidentally, not to be not to be disrespectful or not to be uh, destructive, we still need to answer to God, who is still the Creator. But uh, this goes back to the discipline in, in, with authority exists because of the flesh and sin. Okay, so ungodly, but ungodly discipline and tyrannical rule is yet another result of sin. You see that with, with, with governments all the time. They, they then forgetting or rejecting or what have you the, the uh, reality of authority and where it comes from and God's moral order, we then try and fix problems in a sin-sick world by abusing authority, right? Um, so the big idea not to miss as we move forward into practical living, if you will, and all theology is practical, by the way, insofar as it teaches us about Christ, is that we're to swear off the abuse of authority. Okay, and, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to read the whole thing because it's it's so important. In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, but Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them to tyrannize them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, that's uh, Matthew and Jesus talking about authority in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Wow, what a line. What a, what a thing. I mean, this is an ex Jesus Christ does not give suggestions. Jesus Christ does not give advice. Jesus Christ tells us what is. Hey, this is what it is, man, right? So when he says, it shall not be that way, wow, this is what Paul's showing us. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's the context. Any, any use of authority that doesn't have that as your bottom is not godly. Think again. If I'm not trying to build this person up in Christ, to show them Christ, to bring them to Christ, I'm doing it wrong. Okay? You do it with your kids, you do it with your, uh, you do, do it with your whatever, the employees, you have a got job to do, and you get to hold people accountable. I got you. Yeah. But that's still to the glory of God. Going past that, when we're losing sight of it, not doing it, again, not, not using authority, is also sinful. 
that God is holy and we aren't to use this as an excuse for lazy living. The fact that we aren't to lord it over one another doesn't mean we're to live sloppily, okay? Or God forbid, even in sin, because we're under grace, not law. No, we're not, not to do that. We're not to just go, oh, okay, well, God does, uh, you know, uh, I, can, I can just do porn and, and uh, you know, just you know, be abusive and all that stuff. No big deal because under, I'm under grace. No. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. To whom? To others? No. To more sales? No. To a championship? No. To more profit? Higher grades? No. To the Lord. You see how much damage we do in jobs because we, we over-schedule ourselves, we do these things, and, and uh, we're just pursuing this goal at all costs. And that is not godly. There needs to be balance in life. You're not going to find that balance unless you have the right premise. That premise is from him and through him and to him are all things. Romans 11.36. This, this, any practical advice that doesn't start with that is going to be flawed. It may have some truth in it, but it's going to be flawed. Okay? Guarantee it. So all those things, again, all those things I just mentioned, higher grades, you know, winning titles, more sales, more profit, all that, all those things are fine insofar as a motive for them is our glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about this for, for businesses. Businesses, are, if you look at the stock market and stockholders want to make more money, we need to have growth, we need to have growth, we need to have growth. Nowhere in there, when you hear people talking about making money or doing whatever, if that doesn't include these two things. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ by the service of our neighbor, by solving a problem for our neighbor through the talents we've been given is wrong. It is sinful. Okay? You can have a free market and still be in sin because the goal will be self-glorification and it will lead to abuse. That's what we have in our, in our culture today. I'm going to get into that later as we, as we, we look to re- not be conformed to this world. But suffice it to say now that no one and nothing has a right to command the heart and soul of another except the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone has all authority, and yet he leads by laying down his life for us. That's the appeal by the mercies of God. That's what it means, by the mercies of God. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that giving your entire life to him is logical because he gave you his. Remember, his burden is light, his yoke is easy. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. The argument has already been established in Romans 6, verse 16, that we are finite and created beings. We can't be absolutely free. The premise of humanism that's the, is, is that we're absolutely free. But we're slaves either to sin or to the Lord. Remember, he says, what, Paul, what does Paul say? What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? This is Romans 6. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, remember, from the heart to which you were committed, and having been, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Again, that's Romans 6. Verse 15 through 18, this is the foundation upon which all the lives of Christians are built. The reality of our lives is the power of the cross and our redemption. And this is why all attempts to make outward rules for Christians are worse than useless. They're dangerous. It's like a man making rules for treating his wife well. You know, he's like, um, no. I I mean, if I love my wife, do I need a checklist to tell me, hey, Jason, don't yell at her? You know, don't throw things at her. I heard John MacArthur say that one time. Um, 
make sure you hug her and be nice to her. I mean, don't go up and give her flowers on Valentine's Day and say, yeah, here, here you go. Uh, it's Valentine's Day. I had to give you something. <laughs> right? Likewise, I mean, think about this. A Christian who sees the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Redeemer will see all of life differently. Will such a man want to sin? He may very well still struggle with the flesh, but it will now rightly be called a struggle because before he didn't mean not to sin. Now he does. So love, be sure, will drive that sin out. You'll hit the mark without trying to get it because love will be the goal. Love is the God. That's what's compelling us, the love of Christ. The appeal is what Christ has done for us. It's gratitude. The life of the Christian is gratitude. This is the recognition of the reality of sin and a solution of the cross for sin. That's why they're not talking about sin is they're really not talking about love. Law brings us to the cross whenever there's a sin. And the reality of that, of what happened there at the cross, lifts us back on our feet again. It restores us. We're renewed. We're cleaned up, sparkling like new, because Jesus Christ washes us, sanctifies us, and our hearts Experiencing not judgment, but love, everlasting love, bursts within us. Sweet and blessed tears flow from the soft heart of contrition, softened by the love of God in the first place. And he personally wipes away those tears as he tells you. Now, I want to say this. Think about the way the, the wokesters are out there, and they're judging all sorts of new sins, right? They've got all sorts. Don't say this. Don't say that. Don't touch. Don't, don't do this. It's a whole level of new severity in the name of love, but it's a false doctrine. And there is no grace. But think about this. When you sin and you go to the cross and you go to Christ again, you say, Lord, forgive me for I've sinned against you. And you are not going, there's no condemnation for you. Instead, what you're going to hear is that you are clean, child. You are mine and you're always mine. Imagine that. Imagine that, that, that experience of knowing that you're not to be judged. You are not to be ashamed. You are free from sin and the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. Okay? Those sins won't stick. The grace and love of Jesus Christ is what sticks. It's all over you. Let it refresh you. You fell into sin because of fear. And when you sin, you sin against your new nature. And that's if you're a Christian, that's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to sin against your new nature. But Christ is there and he won't lose you. He won't forsake you. You are loved and there's no more fear. All right? That was the purpose of Romans 8. Your broken heart, he won't reject nor despise. Give him that broken heart and see what he's going to do. Follow him and all the counterfeits of sin, the false pleasures of sin will fall away. You'll see them for what they are. And this is why having a rules-based church or a rules-based anything is a graceless, loveless church and a graceless, loveless life. That's why having outward conformity is missing the point. The heart that loves is going to seek the object of its love. Do we love him or do we love our sin? The heart that loves sin won't be corrected by being told it can't listen to certain types of music, right? And it has to go to the chapel every day or some rule. The heart that loves Jesus Christ will pull away from sin as it marches through the long haul, which is life, in a sinful world. The mud of the world is going to splatter upon that lover of Christ in their new robe. Sure, but the specks of sin's mud will be seen for what they are. 
as that lover and follower of the perfect soul of Christ keeps their eyes fixed on him, and he will continue to wash you clean. That's the purpose in John chapter 13 when he washes the disciples' feet. So let's go back to rules again. Don't cuss. Don't do this. Don't do that. I mean, we notice the absence of such a list in here in Romans and elsewhere in the New Testament. In fact, Paul could clearly make just such a one. He could have, but he doesn't because that's the whole point. The list follower will boast in their performance, and the goal of all of that would be self-glory, not love of God. Be sure that, the guys, this is the key. To glorify God is first to love him. No man can glorify the God they don't love, and no man loves God who is still in sin. God's love is first poured into our hearts. That's Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 5. We are the source of love. He is the source of love. So this is the perfect logic of the gospel. It's the life of the love of God, which is a life of faith, not works. Sure, I mean, we're going to do good works. Like I said, we're going to be fine. You'll find that you're fulfilling God's moral law without trying to. We're not going to be in sin and say, oh, you know, I'm covered by grace. It's all in love. Whatever love does is true. No, whatever God says is love is love. So by, but by the works of the law, no human being will be saved. Romans 3.20. This is why Paul appeals to us, and it's how... We're to interpret our lives as living sacrifices. It's why marriage is a type of the union we have with Christ. Love is the glue that binds the promises of fidelity and devotion of a man and woman. Without that love, no law will hold together what sin will fracture. And no law or rigidity or sevenfold path or asceticism or severity or anything else will give us righteousness. We have righteousness of God through faith already, not by works lest we boast, but by faith alone. That's Romans 1.17. From faith for faith, the righteous will live by faith. So go now. Yeah, seriously. Let's look at the rest of Romans through these eyes of love. And remember that there can be no true love without righteousness and no righteousness without faith. None of this is arbitrary because God is love. 1 John 4.16. That means love is real. And love as a source, and love as a person, and love is absolute. It's not a fuzzy feeling. It is real. It is objective. So go, study your scripture, and remember all of this, and keep this in light of this, okay? Hopefully, again, this is edifying, and um, and I, I really just thank you so much for listening. And like I said, I, I know not everybody can be there for our personal Bible studies, but for those of you who are not capable of getting there, if you got any questions, um, go to the website, go to the blog, uh, whatsoeveristrue.com, and I will, you know, if, if you need to contact me, go ahead and do that. Uh, it, there's no replacement for a real church with real Christian friends. If you don't have that, pray for it. He will answer your prayer, guarantee it. Uh, when he does and how he does is up to him. It's none of my business. I'm in sales, not management. I don't get that memo, but I guarantee you he will because the Bible promises us that. All right? Hope you guys are well, and I'll talk to you later. Catch you next time.